Kevin and Dave, I didn't know we were going to have Shane and Shane here this morning. That's awesome. You did have to put the reference to Artude in there, didn't you? Just, I see how it works. Yes. Well, good morning. How are you all this morning? It is so rich to be in the presence of the Lord, isn't it? Just uh, renewing and blessing. My brother, you know, I often get to uh, ridicule him and he cannot defend himself because he doesn't live in Colorado, so that's always nice. Uh, So all growing up, my brother liked really nice things, right? He, he liked uh, nice watches, uh, he ni- liked nice glasses. You know, some of you and I are like that, right? Nice cars and so forth, nice clothes. That's why I really enjoyed whenever he spilled on his uh, nice new shirt and he gets so upset. And I enjoyed that moment right for there and it happened often. So he, ni- he liked nice things, and uh, one day my dad kind of put it uh, well. He said, perhaps you've heard this phrase, Bruce has champagne tastes on a beer budget. Have you ever, have you heard that? Yeah, some of you are like that, yes, is that true? Yeah, we have champagne, champagne tastes on a, a beer budget. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, if we have that mentality, we have a tendency to live above our means. Would you agree? Yep. Yes. Um, do you know that according to a data from U.S. Census Bureau and the Federal Reserve, the average American household Do you know how much credit card debt that we carry? Just think in your mind, just put a a guess in there, and then I'll tell you. The average American household has a staggering $16,425 of credit card debt. That's what we're carrying, many of us, right? Champagne tastes, beer budget, right? I just heard a statistic about... um, the average person, how much uh, liquid income they have in terms of checking if there's an emergency. I think Dave Ramsey like recommends six months of salary that we would have. The average American has about a thousand bucks in uh, checking and saving for emergencies, right? So now I can feel in the room, they're like, oh no a message about tithing and offering and supporting the church. And the deacons are like, yes, a message about tithing and offering. No, actually it's not. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna uh, flip this, just uh, be it at ease, all right? Uh, and I wanna flip this just a little bit and, and move from a financial perspective and to a spiritual perspective. And I was wondering, financially, many of us Americans live with champagne tastes and a beer budget. Would that be true of us spiritually? And I'd like to suggest the reverse is opposite. That we live on a beer uh, mentality or, or spirituality, and yet God has offered champagne and a banquet to us, right? Or uh, if you don't, if you're uncomfortable with uh, that analogy because we're in church, then we're, we're, we're living off a really cheap wine, 
When in fact, you know Jesus' first miracle? And you remember from the story where the, where the head of the household tastes the wine? He's like, this is the good stuff. Why did you wait till the end? Use this first. That was Jesus. He made the good wine. I wonder why he did, right? I wonder if it represents the, that, that the Father has good wine for us. He has an abundance of this spiritual life that he died for us and he invites us to live and yet many of us, we're not reaching for the good stuff, right? Where as we live our daily lives, we are settling for the cheap stuff. One of my previous uh, senior pastors, he, he loved this verse in Ephesians 1.3. I don't think I have it for you in, in your outline, but he loved this verse and he was challenged by this verse and he would challenge the church by this verse. It's where Paul says, Praise be to God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He used to say, yes, uh, Paul isn't talking about a meager blessing that we kind of have to be on our knees and please God, right? He hasn't just blessed us with a few things, but with every spiritual blessing, all that we could want. In fact, sometimes Paul says even more than you can imagine, the Father has poured out all of this for you to take hold of and live and transform your lives. And yet, we're going to the black box wine, right? The box wine, right? The, the really cheap stuff the, that's there. That, that's what we're living off of. When in fact, God has so much more for us. That, that, that for many of us, financially, we, we've got this champagne mentality Right? But spiritually, we've got this impoverished mentality. Yes? Can I get an amen with that? Amen. Yeah. So, yeah. Come on, Mike. Let's stay up with me here, mister. See if I can wake up. All right. In Romans 5, we've been walking through Romans, and this is another. Would you turn with me there to Romans chapter 5? We're going to read the first 11 verses. If you've brought your Bibles, wonderful. There are Bibles located in many of the seats in front of you. Um, and this is, again, this mountaintop scripture passage that, that Paul is going to share. And really, he continues to talk. He set us up for a long time, right? He, he brought us to see the depths of our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion before God. He spent a long time doing that. And now... Um, in, in chapter 3, I'm going to let you read chapter 4 on your own because Abraham because, becomes this beautiful example for us to look back and to see a life of faith and trust in God. A model, I would argue, of the abundant life that God wants us to live in Abraham. And now we get to chapter 5 and he continues on using these beautiful theological words. And I want to 
encourage you. We, we talked about three um, theological words last week in, in, to great uh, depth. There's one more word that he introduces here, and I want you to see if you can pay attention to this word as he talks about peace and hope in our relationship with God and the lives that we get to live. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified, remember that word from last week, through faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, this abundant grace, this beautiful grace. Through Jesus Christ, the cross, by faith, we have access to step into this river of grace. This grace which not we now stand and we boast in the hope. Uh, this is a positive boast. This is not a, a prideful, boastful. This is a rejoicing and we boast in God, he says. Because of all he's done for us, we boast in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Paul always has to bring in sufferings, doesn't he? We'll have to figure out what that means. We, we, uh, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Who knows the Holy Spirit is a vital part of the abundant life. Amen? Amen. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly in this passage? Look at your neighbor and say, you are, right? That's the, that's the hippopotamus effect we've been talking about, right? Right, the, the depth of our sin. Now, did you see what he just read? He said, when you were powerless, the gospel doesn't say, hey, you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps, Right? And bootstrap yourself into the kingdom of God. Here's the news. You can't do it. You can't do it. You don't have the power and the will and the chutzpah to get into the kingdom of God yourself. But see, God knew that. And at just the right time, God's timing is perfect. At just the right time, when you... And I were still powerless. Christ died for us. Verse 7. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. He didn't die for us because we're good. He knew we were sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
since we have now been justified by his blood, we've been counted righteous, right, last week. We stood before the judge, and the judge was going to say, guilty as charged. And at that moment, Jesus walked into the courtroom. I said, I'll take it. I'll take the guilty verdict. And his righteousness is applied to us. And when we were powerless, when we were still sinners, Jesus said, forgiven. Righteous. We are made righteous because of Jesus Christ. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved from God's wrath through him? You see, the the hopeful place that in this moment we have been saved, we have been justified. So how much more can we apply the hope of God's promise of eternal life, not just in this moment, though we get to start living in this moment, eternal life, but when Christ returns and when we stand before God to give an account of our lives, our attitude of our heart, the posture of our heart, the words of our lives, the actions and the decisions that we make when we give hope, we tr- when, when we give an account, we trust, we have hope. It's God's promises to us. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. All right. Did I read the word with enough emphasis? What was that new word we saw? Reconciliation. Hey, yes, got it. What's reconciliation mean? Let's just take for a moment what that means. Reconciliation means is that you are um, bringing between perhaps two things or two peoples a compatibility. You can reconcile your checkbook with your checking account. I know no one really does that anymore, right? But you can, you see, if it's off, then you can reconcile and bring compatibility there. You can reconcile two disciplines, uh, perhaps, science and faith, like we did in Missing Jesus a few weeks ago. Talked about science and faith and brought those two things together. You can, you can reconcile, bring reconciliation between two people or two people groups. The famous Hatfield and McCoys, right? Do you know those two families have been reconciled, right? And history had a big ceremony and all that stuff. Um, so Paul is saying that you have been reconciled. He's not talking about our finances. What's he talking about? Who have we been reconciled with? Who? 
Not quite there yet. Keep working on it. I love your passion though. With? With God. Yes. Did you catch the, the, the phrase that you were enemies with God? Jesus, uh, Paul is arguing that our sin, our rebellion, prior to coming to Christ, our sin led us to a place that we were standing in enmity as en enemies in our rebellion against God. And the average American Christian usually misses the depth of our standing with God. Uh, Henry David Thoreau, the famous American writer and philosopher, uh, the story is he was on his deathbed and his sister asked him, have you made peace with God? To which he responded, I did not know we had argued. <laughs> All right, so a little, little witty there. But Thoreau um, believed apparently, as many Americans, Christian and non-Christians, that the human nature is basically pretty good, that God might find some, some things objectable, some fault here, a little sin there, but generally, we are okay. But we have learned through our walk, through Romans, that that is not true of the human nature. That because of our sin, because of the ongoing nature and the, the orientation of sin, you could say we're in a world of hurt in our standing before God. That our account has got what animal on this side? Hippopotamus, right? When we think the hippopotamus is on the other side and we're okay, no. We're in a world of hurt. And so the, those three profound pictures and portraits of grace that Christ has redeemed us, brought, brought us back from the, the power of sin, the slavery of sin. Christ has atoned for our sin. He's, he's cleansed us. He's been the, the perfect lamb and was killed for our unrighteousness. He's justified us. He's taken the penalty as we've said. But now Christ has reconciled us. See, this is talking about a relationship with God. This is talking about a different kind of life. That this is a life meant to be lived from these profound spiritual and theological truths. That we get to live a categorically different life because of the work of Christ. I would call it this... Because of the cross and because of the faith, we now live a life, you could say, a life of reconciliation. A life reconciled. And that has significance for our relationship with God, our relationship and understanding of, uh, with ourselves, and our relationship with others. But I'm going to emphasize, because Paul does this idea of relationship with God. That Christ's work doesn't call us to live, to continue to live as enemies uh, to God. Not this, this distant uh, relationship with God. Not this spiritually impoverished relationship with God. But a life of grace and peace. Look at verse 1. It says, we have peace with God. Peace with God. 
God. Now, now the, the Old Testament, shalom, and the New Testament, uh, word for peace, is not this, this shallow peace. It's not simply a peace that is talking about the absence of strife or war or anything like this. It means this idea of wholeness, of life. Or another way to put it is this. It's the life that can be best lived. The life that we're meant to live. We're meant to feel God's abiding shalom and peace in our moment-to-moment living, in our thinking, in our hearts and souls, in our relationships. This is a life of peace that is beyond circumstance. I love the word access. Do you see that? Do you catch that in Paul? He says access. He's, he's really talking about access to this life of grace. Access to the one true living God. Another place, Ephesians 2.18, he says, um, we get access. Um, he says, for through him, we both have access by the Father, by one spirit. How much are we accessing the grace of God? How much are we accessing the peace of God? How much are we allowing the spiritual blessing and inviting that blessing into our day-to-day? There's another neat phrase that we didn't get to. It's the rest of, if you would read chapter 5, perhaps this afternoon or later this week. But look at um, uh, chapter 5, verse 20 says, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, that was your old life, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love that phrase. We get to live lives where grace reigns. Grace reigns. Grace rules. What does that look like? Given this definition of grace before, if you think of it as uh, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's the life of grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Peace of soul, peace of mind. You know, we're entering into a season of Lent. And uh, I was just praying, uh, I pray, God, what would you have me give up? What would be something that I could give up in this season? What is something I could add in in replace uh, of that? And uh, Kendra and I were talking, and I said to Kendra, you know what I would really, really like to give up for Lent? Anxiety and stress. And I expected her to go, (laughs) she didn't do that. She said, you know, I just saw this video. I saw this video. 
is of uh, two women teaching actually from 2 Kings, the, the story where a, a king, King Aram, king of Aram, he surrounds Elisha, the prophet, and he wants to take him out because he's messing with his battle plans. And uh, he surrounds Elisha, and they look, and they see all of the, these uh, warriors around them, and Elisha's servant begins to freak out because they are cornered. Well, not cornered, they're surrounded, right? And Elisha, he just... He says, he, he actually doesn't explain anything. He prays. He says, he says, do not be afraid. And then he prays, Lord, would you open his eyes? And so the Lord opens the servant's eyes and he sees the Lord's armies. He sees chariots and horses on fire with power. I won't tell you the rest of the story. It's a, a cool story. All right, and so um, she was saying that part of living a life, abundant life, is seeing things how God sees them. It is really pulling back and, and looking beyond the physical realities, beyond the, ang the angst in the job that we have or that, that supervisor that's, that's working that final nerve, right? Beyond the, the, the loss of job and how, is, how are we gonna reconcile the bills that, are that need to be paid and that we're not getting income. All those, those realities of today and those struggles rather than simply seeing the physical that we pray, God, help me to see that you've got this. Help me to see your promises for me in this moment. Would you help me to see? You know, uh, then an elder who was praying for me, he, he texted a scripture from uh, 2 Kings 6, right as we were talking about this. And I was like, okay. I'm not that dull. That's the Holy Spirit. We're doing it, right? And so we're, we're actually going to try and go after it and not have anxiety and fear and struggle. We're going to learn some scriptures that we can pray um, in, in, when we're feeling that anxiety because that's not abundant life. right? To walk in anxiety, to be covered in fear, that's not about abundant life. That, that's, that's an impoverished life, right? But, but to receive God's grace in that moment, that, that's abundant life. To, to be able to see the, the, the physical that's before us, but then turn to God and say, God, open my eyes so that I might see how you've got that. That's abundant life, right? Yes? So, you can call me out on this. You can ask me about this during Lent. Only if you join me in it. If you don't join me in it, then you can't call me out on it. Got it? Got it. All right. Do I hope that many of you join me? I don't, I'm not sure about that. So, so there's this idea of peace with God. An abundant peace. Not a circumstantial peace but a peace that flows from the grace of God, a peace that he has allowed us 
to step into and stand in this river of grace. Many of us are just kind of on the outskirts of the river of grace, right? And we're just kind of sipping when we need. He says, no, 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 don't sip, right? Step into and stand. Personal relationship. Now, let's talk about this hope and this idea of suffering. And I would say that the impoverished spiritual life is that shallow hope, one of possible income outcome hope. Like, well, I really hope it goes this way but it's looking like a no, right? That's not the kind of hope. The, the kind of hope that scripture is talking about is from that, that hymn, that, that blessed assurance, a hope that is rooted in the word of God and the promises of God. Like God says, I've promised to be with you. You will face many hardships, but I will be there. The promise of eternal life, both now and forevermore. That, that promise that we root it not in our own, uh, what we can do, what we can accomplish, but in what God has said he will do. What God has done in our lives and what God says he will do. That's the kind of hope. It's this expectant hope. Because we've seen God work in our lives. We're experiencing God today in our lives. So we can take that experience, that past and that present and look to the future and say, I know God's got it. I know that's my hope. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unswervingly. That is the, the firm hope, the strong hope that we profess. For we who are, have promised, he who, who has promised is faithful and really, that is where the, the suffering idea comes from. This idea that we can have hope even in present suffering. Paul, he does this. He, he brings not part of the gospel for part of the life. He doesn't pull away. He always is bringing that fullness even of suffering. Philippians 3.10, the purpose of his life the best classic scriptures of Paul, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. I wish Paul stopped there. But he goes on. And participation in his suffering. Becoming like him in his death. There's the key. Hold on to that becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, notice, look at verses three and four. Notice the progression. Notice the, how there is a progression because it helps us understand suffering. Are you looking at three and four? We also glory in our suffering, notice, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character. See that? You know, I was thinking of another progression that um, I saw in another, in a movie. Um, and uh, I, I think we have the clip. It's just really short. But notice the, the progression of this wise master of he, how he talks about it. Hold, sir. 
Afraid, are you? No, sir. See through you? We can. Be mindful of your feelings. Your thoughts dwell on your mother. I miss her. Afraid to lose her, I think. Hmm? What does that got to do with anything? Everything. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I sense much fear in you. That is the impoverished progression, right? And many of us fall into that, would you say? There's a dominance of fear, of struggle, of pain. And yet Paul is talking about a different progression, which actually suffering is not <laughs> part of the dark side. <laughs> that God uses God uses that. Here's the point. It, did you know that God is far more concerned about your soul than anything else in your life? He's more concerned about your soul than your cars and your houses and your nice things. But even beyond that, he's more concerned about your marriages than your kids I would back that up with Jesus' words. It's taken me a long time, but he says, no, 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 that your soul is so important that I want to grow your soul and have you look more and more like my son that I'm going to allow suffering. Do you see the, the, the progression in suffering? Right, so his end game, did you see his end game in the passage of scripture? His end game is not that you would suffer. Why God? No, that, that's not his end game. His end game, did you see it? It's a four letter word. It's hope. It's hope. And he's gonna take the angst of life. And if we, I, I've seen it go, go both ways. I've seen a progression. I've seen suffering cause bitterness and unforgiveness, right? And I've seen people go through a progression and they are left in that place of bitterness and they're living their lives from that place of bitterness, from that place of doubt, from that place of insecurity. Maybe that's some of us here this morning. And God is saying, no, 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 no. If you allow faith to be added to that suffering, God wants to teach us by his Holy Spirit through that struggle. I met with, uh, I asked permission, Paul Hennigan, who's sitting right there, if I could share a little bit of a story, because I met with him uh, for coffee and I just wanted to hear him from his story. He was diagnosed with uh, bladder cancer in 2016. It was malignant, aggressive, and an invasive tumor. And then in 2017, they, they addressed it and uh, 
2017, came back. And I met with Paul, Panera Bread, and I said, Paul, how are you doing? And I expected some uh, angst from Paul. You know what he said? I am fantastic. I am doing so well. And I was like, what is going on? And he shared some of his story. He said, uh, in 2016, when he was diagnosed with this tumor, God spoke to my spirit is his phrase, and I love that phrase. And God said, I have you in my hands. Then my son, this is Paul speaking, then my son and daughter-in-law shared 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18, which is rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances with the exception of cancer. That's how we read it. It doesn't say that though. In all circumstances. God healed him. 2017, cancer is back and they were going to give him a PET scan to see um, if there was more cancer that they had to address and he's waiting for the PET scan and again he says, God spoke to my spirit. He says, I know your body better than, you, than this machine. You have no cancer in your body. Later, the test confirmed what I already knew, Paul said. Radiation treatments were completed. However, chemotherapy was not needed. Um, he said this, <clears throat> Though it all, uh, through it all, I felt incredibly blessed. Are you kidding me? Sorry, it's my flesh coming out every once in a while. Uh, through it all, I felt incredibly blessed. People would ask how I was doing. The answer was always that same joyful, yet sincere, deeply felt in his heart, terrific, fantastic. It says, having joined, giving thanks in every circumstance is not normal or natural, but God is not normal or natural. Amen. He is above and beyond normal, and he is supernatural. Amen? So Paul's words. And I thought to myself, that's abundant life. That's abundant life. It doesn't mean that we are free from the ailments of the world. There is a part. He said you will face many challenges. There's a suffering. And yet, the promises that we claim, that, that part of the abundant life is we get his spirit to speak to our spirit and bring comfort and life and trust and joy in all circumstances, even suffering, even pain, even cancer. He says, I want you to live it different. I, I, I've got the blessings in heaven that I want to pour out, not despite whatever circumstance is going on. Tap into that grace, that peace, and finally, the beautiful part of the abundant life is the love 
poured out. Look again at Romans 5, 5. He says, this is highlighted in my Bible because I love this. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Spirit of God makes the love of God, the peace of God, the joy of God so very personal to us. The Spirit of God takes our theology and our understanding and he places it right deeply in our soul. Or as Paul says, he pours out the love of God. Another place Paul says... Spirit makes it personal. The Spirit you receive, capital S, the Holy Spirit you receive, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. That's the old way. That's impoverished spirituality. Rather, the Spirit you receive, Holy Spirit you receive, brought about your adoption to sonship, to daughterhood. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Dad. It's the personal, that fear, that brokenness, that rebellion, old impoverished life and spirituality that we fall into and the Holy Spirit says no I want to disciple you in the love of God I want to disciple you in walking with me we had this beautiful retreat I'm still on a spiritual high from yesterday where we were praying for one another. I didn't get any permission to, to share from folks, so I'm gonna share a past retreat. And I did get permission from my wife to share. And, uh, and we were praying that, that the, the Spirit of God would fill her, and she started crying as we prayed for her. She was crying and crying. So it was a beautiful moment at this retreat. And I knew she was experiencing the love of God. Then she went to compose herself, right? And then we had someone else sit in the prayer chair or the hot seat. And uh, she comes back and we start praying, but she couldn't really pray effectively because she was just crying, 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 right? And I said, hey, buck up, girl. We got to pray for others. No, I didn't say <laughs> Just seeing if you're paying attention. And what I asked her, I, I just asked her what, what was going on there. And, and the words that she said is, you know, I was raised Catholic. And again, I, I say this huge respect for the Catholic Church, right? There can be beautiful things and broken things, whether Catholic or Protestant, right? However, she said, I was raised in the Catholic Church and her experience of entering into the confession was a God that would slap her hands. And as we prayed, and the Holy Spirit filled her heart and soul, she realized it was a, a Abba Father who loves her. And that's part of that abundant life that he said, don't you know how much his love and his mercy is flowing from his throne? And yet we, we stay on the sidelines. We, we step away. I'd like to invite, um, invite the elders 
forward for communion. And I would like, you know how we do this. If you don't, then follow the people in your row. But you exit to your left. You come on up. You uh, exit to your left. You come to the table. And then you return to your uh, seats. And, And we're actually doing what's called, it's an ancient practice of intinction. And you take the little matzah cracker and you, you dip it in the cup. Now, I want to say a, a word about the, the physical, right? Remember, sacramentally, the physical represents the spiritual dynamic, right? And so this, this is kind of a weak physical. Can I say that? It's, it's matzah cracker, right? We should have this abundance, right? This, this, the best bread to represent. We should have like Olive Garden breadsticks, right? The taste. And, and do you know what this is? Do you know what this is? Yeah, it's grape juice. That's kind of weak, isn't it? What we really should have is good wine, Right? But it's not about the physical representation. The physical represents the spiritual. And you know what the spiritual is? It's the bounty of Christ. It's this abundant grace and mercy and love. He's inviting you to step again into the river of grace. If you don't like to dip the, I, I would even say you could just take a cracker and you, you could even, it's, remember it's not about the physical. If you'd like to just wave it if you're a little unsure, we, we've been sick and all that. It's not about the physical. It's about the spiritual. And I want to say one other thing before we go to uh, communion. I'd ask you to, to come and dip in and then uh, take the elements at the stations and then return to your seat. And then would you pray, Lord, is there someone that I would like to pray for in my row or that's, that you would like me to pray for in my row that's close by? Maybe not. Maybe you just want to worship and that's okay. Or maybe you say, I need prayer and you see someone looking around and you're like, could you pray for me? Would that be okay? Could we do that? I would love it if you prayed that the Holy Spirit would pour the love of God into our hearts. Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? It was the night in which Jesus was betrayed that he took the bread And after he gave thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a similar way, after dinner, he took the cup. And he talked about a new covenant And as many of you know, this new covenant is really a new relationship with God. We are no longer 
enemies of God, but because of Christ and through faith, we are made, we are at peace with God, we are reconciled to God, and we get to live a life of his grace, of his mercy, of his righteousness because of that faith. He's saying, remember this new covenant, step in, take, receive, and live a life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the banquet table is set. Would you come and receive?